Hello friends, I'm your host Sujay and I welcome you to the 32nd episode of the Meet Stargazers podcast. Our guest today has 30 years of experience in the travel industry, which has taken her to 75 countries and into all areas of tourism, flight attending, travel agency, restaurants, hotels and guiding. She managed Sydney Observatory before devoting her time to one of her passions, preserving the night sky. In July 2016, she successfully saw the Warrumbungal National Park designated as Australia's first dark sky park. Since then, she has spent her time re-engaging people with the natural heritage of the night sky and reducing the impacts of light pollution. She is the founding member of the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance. In 2017, she was awarded the Dark Sky Defender Award presented by the International Dark Sky Association. Today, she is going to talk to us about astrotourism in Australia. Without further ado, please join me in welcoming Mani Og. Mani, thanks for taking the time to speak to us and I'm excited to talk to you about astrotourism in Australia. Thanks for having me, Sujay. It's fantastic to talk with you. What brought you to Dark Sky Advocacy and when did you get started? Well, the story basically goes that I'm a tour guide and a travel agent and have been running a, a tourism business for uh, about 25 years in various different forms. And um, the long story was that my parents went away and did a tour in, in Libya and um, saw the total solar eclipse there and came back to me and said, look, I really think that you should transform your business into astrotourism because there's a huge market there. And and did you know that there's an upcoming solar eclipse in Australia in 2012? And uh, and then Dad came around the corner about a day later and said, well, why don't you ask Fred Watson, who's an astronomer and he's on the radio, and he he could be your host. So long and short of it, Fred and I met for lunch, and then we ended up basically starting this astrotourism business together and doing a whole lot of variety of different tours. Um, and in fact, we're now married. So <laughs> that was that was it was all written in the stars. But um, what, we, what was happening with these tours that we were ending up doing, we were going to amazing places, you know, South America to observatories. We were going to Chile, Chile and, and Inca ruins and all these sorts of wonderful places with archaeoastronomical connections or modern connections. Uh, we were going to Europe and seeing, you know, telescopes such as the one in Paris in, and, and all these wonderful places. But what I realised when I came back from the came back to Australia was that as wonderful and as rich as the history is in most of these countries. Australia's dark skies were truly the darkest. You know, everywhere we came back to, we would I would be walking through the streets near my local home and it was still darker than some of the dark sky places that we were visiting, especially to go and see. And I realised what a wonderful asset that was and that it really wasn't being used fully or even really acknowledged as an asset in Australia. Uh, and so... Because of my husband's association with the Anglo-Australian Telescope, which is at Siding Spring Observatory, Australia's National Optical Telescope, he had always spoken about, oh, you know, we should create an IDA dark sky place near near the telescopes because, A, it's preserved as a dark sky place already with the, the local laws and bylaws, 
but um, because it was something that we could give back to the local community as well. And um, I guess the, the, the journey for me really into Dark Sky Advocacy came about through that because I hadn't heard much about it before then. I said to Fred, let's help establish the park. And the journey of learning what dark sky preservation, conservation and and the benefits of it really stemmed from being involved with creating Australia's first dark sky place in the Warren Bungles. Thanks for sharing your journey with us. Could you please present the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance to our audience and the work that it does? Sure. So... With one of my hats on, um, so I, I have an astrotourism business, but I also am one of the directors of the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance and a founding member. And the origins of the, the Dark Sky Alliance came through, actually, the Warren Bungles. I, I ran a Dark Sky conference up in Siding Spring, uh, and it was really important to me that even though those conference types of conferences happen and have happened around the world frequently, it was very much about looking at the impact on night skies, which is an obvious impact. But for me, this conference was also about bringing different minds together to, to look at the issue of light pollution in a much bigger way. And so we had ecologists, we had uh, environment, environmental scientists, we had urban planners, we had street main roads de department, we had the um, Environmental Protection Authority there, and as well as lighting designers and, and, and outdoor, you know, outdoor landscapers, etc. anyone that was using light at night pretty much. And at the end of the conference, we realised that there were people doing amazing things for dark sky conservation in Australia, but it just wasn't. They were little isolated voices around the country that weren't being heard, that weren't supporting one another with what was actually happening. And so the outcome of the conference really was that we took eight of the most dedicated people that were willing to throw their hands in and get the muck in and get a bit dirty and talk about dark sky conservation in Australia. So our board is made up of that that diverse array of people. We've got, as I said, lighting technicians, ecologists, uh, astronomers, uh, me as astrotourism and business holders on, on as well. And we set about setting it up as a charity so that uh, we really had the, the support of local environmental groups um, and, the, and the government actually with the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment have been strong in, in supporting us. And our remit is really just to educate about light pollution. Now, light pollution is a relatively unknown issue, even, even in astronomy circles. You know, you often hear about astronomers complaining about light, but they don't often get involved in trying to solve the issue. But in Australia, I think it is a really, we're very naive to, to light pollution because we're such a dark continent. You know, the, the very reason that brought me into this, because Australia is so dark, is also the reason that we, it's such a, um, a new issue in Australia, because it's really only on the East Coast that we have major light issue, light pollution issues. 
Um, and, you know, we're not like Europe where majority of Europe, you can't see the night sky. You know, if, if you find a dark pocket, it's really rare and unusual. 93% of Australia or probably even more of it is actually dark. Um, and what we are trying to do is preserve that and keep that in place. Try not to make some of the errors that have happened in, in the Northern Hemisphere. And to really educate decision makers on policies, technologies that, that can be used to, to eradicate that issue and to drive a groundswell of people because it takes both levels. You know, you have to start from the top, but you also have to start from the bottom to educate people. And it's amazing the, the impact that we've had, people, schools embracing it, um, you know, everything from five-year-old kids all the way up to decision makers in, in, in government, it's it's starting to filter through. So we're very excited. And that's all within two years, which is really lovely. One of the missions of the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance is to create business opportunities that support night sky preservation. Could you please elaborate on this aspect? Yeah, um, it, it is a bit of a challenge, I guess, in the sense that it it is still new. Uh, and and then in many ways that's also very exciting. So I think one of the things that I've personally been um, very interested in supporting is the number of little businesses that have started to look at astro-tourism ventures. Destination New South Wales, which is our, our state tourism board, actually incorporated dark skies as one of their top 10 key strategies. In fact, it was their number three in their strategy about making tourism accessible to all sorts of people. And they realised, the, like I did, the wonder, wonder that we have with the dark skies, but also how accessible it is, you know, that, that businesses and audiences alike can really benefit from it. And the reason I say that is, is that, you know, there most of for example, New South Wales, which is where Sydney's the capital city of, is really very dark. And there are so many little small towns that have probably a wonderful little nightscape somewhere that they could take people out to quite easily. You know, it's not somewhere that you have to do a very long drive. Yeah, there might be remote areas that you need four-wheel drives, et cetera. But so I think what we're trying to do is encourage businesses to stop looking at, at tourism just during the day. And the other thing that I have a real interest in is whilst my husband's an astronomer, I'm not. I love the night sky and I love the nighttime environment. And you put me under the stars somewhere and I just immediately settle and become calm and find the wonders just, you know, embracing and, and a bit like a dark, warm blanket. It sort of just comes over me and I feel really hugged and safe, which is interesting because some people don't feel safe in the dark, but for me I do. But with that interest and, and knowing that there are people that don't really want to look through a telescope or find uh, the detail of knowing how far a light, you know, that planet is that many light years away, sometimes that detail actually turns people off. But knowing that the bats that are flying across the night sky or that the owls that you can hear in the background or, you know, the bird, the the, the frogs the bird life anything that can actually bring people into night sky preservation and conservation and bring a new audience in and so um, businesses that might be really reluctant to 
buy a hundred thousand dollar telescope and put it in a park and have no idea what they're pointing it at. You know, <laughs> I know of one, I know of one group that that did that, and the only object they could find in the sky was the moon. And and that's a bit sad, but you know, look at the environment around you. What else have you got to use? And people are, are starting to see that you know conservation doesn't start when you turn the turn the office lights off and go home, and that there is a really big picture. So that that the astrotourism is one part of it. Um, sorry, I, I rambled a bit there, but the other aspect that I think that we can look at and we have been promoting with the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance is ads are approved. Now, if you go on our website, you can actually look and see a number of manufacturers that have have supplied their lighting to be tested and verified under three different tiers as to how dark sky sensitive they are. Now, we're not saying that they're, you know, they're perfect. A light is a light. Any, Any introduction of artificial light into an area obviously increases light pollution. But the lower the blue content, the more screened off it is, you know, the warmer the amber content gives it a different verification. And so we're finding that there are manufacturers that are now starting to think much more about how can we make dark sky friendly lights uh, and councils that are coming to us and saying, well, we want to make these areas dark sky sensitive. How do we go about doing this? And um yeah, so there's a, there's an increase of, of opportunities there. And even urban night sky landscapers we're finding are coming to us and saying, well, you know, we would like to be designated as, a, as an urban night sky landscaper that is dark sky sensitive. You know, we're thinking about the little insects that are being, you know, beamed light into their environment. And so there's, people are just thinking about how they can change their business model and, and use that to their advantage, which is great. Which places of scientific interest would you recommend to someone planning his or her trip to Australia for astrotourism? Wow. Um, So I guess coming off our last question where I talked about the the benefits of astrotourism, not just for astronomy, there are opportunities such as that which we've taken advantage of in going up to Queensland And that's where the Great Barrier Reef is. And we were able to see a coral spawning event, which correlates with a full moon. And and so you start to realise that, you know, the cycles of the earth are really important and that, that that dark sky environment is still really important. Just as a side, uh, also in that region, um, one of my colleagues, um, Emily Faubert, Dr Emily Faubert, did her research on the clownfish, so Little Nemo, and uh, she realised through her research that as soon as you impact the area with any artificial light, even the smallest amount, the cloudfish stops reproducing. There are no eggs. And so as soon as you put uh, light on a wharf, et cetera, you've just basically helped reduce that that entire species. So that's a side side, uh, issue, but uh, that's what we're realising is that that as soon as you put light into any of these environments, you can really drastically reduce the the population of, of endemic species. So um, Queensland is fantastic for the fact that you can go out on the reef and see the stars at night and 
and enjoy, you know, beautiful warm weather. But if you go inland and across what is the Great Dividing Range, which goes from all the way in Victoria all the way to the north of Queensland, uh, if you go across that and into the desert, you'll go into Winton, which is uh, one of our dark sky places in Australia, designated as the jump up in um, in Winton. And it is astounding because by day you can go and do some dinosaur digs and, yeah, you're seeing Australia's dinosaurs, some of the biggest actually that walked across the earth and actually go in and help them clean up the bones. So if you organise that, you can go and sit there with your little tools and polish up these, you know, prehistoric bones by day and then by night go out and look at these wonderful dark skies which are really in the middle of the desert, dry, clear air, um, beautiful. One of the truly most dark places I've been in Australia and felt very passionate about that. And then, you know, obviously there's the Warrumbungle National Park which I'm closely associated with. You've got the National Optical Telescopes there, so a ridge, uh, ancient volcanic ridge top, which is all jagged. In fact, the word Warrumbungle means jagged or crooked mountains. Uh, and that's in stark contrast to a very, very flat plain. <laughs> so these mountains come out of nowhere. And on the top, you've got 27 telescopes dotted, which is just such a you know juxtaposition, ancient and modern. And um, beautiful walks through the day there that you can take through these volcanic landscapes and then this wonderful dark sky at night and visit the, the observatory itself and get into some of Australia's biggest telescopes. Um, and then just something a little bit different again, but something not necessarily with a telescope, but something that that warms everybody's heart and, and again, relates to this whole circadian pattern that we have is the fairy penguins in Victoria. Uh, and these are tiny little penguins. I, I think they're something like 30 centimetres tall. And every night without fail, they walk in three minutes. I think it's three minutes after sunset. They walk up the beach, hundreds of these little things, and they go into their nests. And then again in the morning, two minutes before before sunrise, they do the same thing. And um, so there's this just little array of rafts, as they call them, pontoons of, of penguins running in and, in and out of the water. But um, what is fantastic is that the Victorian government's really embraced the fact that these little penguins need as dark an environment as possible and they've used some wonderful dark sky sensitive lighting because it's such a tourist ad adventure and, you know, you can set your clock bite because these animals have done it every day for the same time every time. There's a huge array of people that come to see it, but they can experience the natural wonder of this happening, see the dark sky still, see the wonderful uh, advent of, of technologies, but also experience a dark sky environment that doesn't feel unsafe. And I think that's really also very important that, it's a wonderful example of how you can have an environment that's dealing with a, a, a with a population with ecology and and feels warm and inviting. So yeah, that would be they, they'd be my top three tips. Are there any night sky experiences you would recommend to dark sky tourists visiting Australia? Look, I could write a list. I could keep going on on, on different places. Um, 
I, I think the place that most people think about when when tourists come to Australia and um, plan their, their journey is Uluru or Ayers Rock as it used to be known. And it is a very um, sacred place for Indigenous Australians uh, and and very iconic for most travellers. And there is a really lovely dark sky experience there as well. So they do what's called a dinner under the stars or the sound of silence, as it's commercially known. And um, and that that is that is really remarkable, you know, to be able to sit in red sand with a white tablecloth and a, you know, a posh glass of white wine or whatever, and see these stars um, is 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 remarkable. And and you've got the backdrop of the big, you know, big rock in the background. So that's I think that's what people would easily gravitate to. I think though that if you had a little bit more time, and maybe this is just the adventure adventurer in me, I would really just say get in a car and go. You know, get into the desert. So you know, anything a couple of hours out of Sydney, um, South Australia, almost the whole whole state's de- desert and beautiful and really dark. And you know, Flinders National Park. There are just so many beautiful places to go and get into the dark sky. And because much of the continent is desert. You know, you don't have to worry about the, the the clouds being in the sky most of the time. Although it is La Nina at the moment, and we're very, very wet. Um, but it's it's anywhere you go, any of those little country towns. Getting, you know, if you really wanted a dark sky, you know, you've got a telescope. You want to take some deep sky photos. Just get in a car and get into the desert. You won't go wrong. Um, yeah, it, it's. It's such an amazing place. And when you think that, you know, you look at it at the ground and you think there's nothing out there, but at, especially at dark, you see all these little lizard prints and all these insects come out and the birds and the as even the frogs in the desert, you can start hearing them. It's such a magical experience. And I think that we as a country haven't really tapped into that, uh, certainly haven't done it very much as a tourist thing. I mean, the, the, the kilometres is the issue. The distances are great and you have to be set up for it. But we are remarkable in our country with, you know, beautiful landscapes by day and stunning nightscapes at night. Can one see the southern lights from Tasmania? Yes, right. yes. In fact, whilst I'm involved with the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance and um, Siding Spring, I, I run the, the day tours out there, really what I've been involved with is taking people on group journeys and um, sometimes internationally but also domestically. And we have this, this tour group. In fact, it's been such a popular tour, uh, possibly because we've been island-bound during um COVID, Fortress Australia, but uh, our Southern Lights tour into Tasmania has been incredibly popular and I have a wait list of people that want to do it. And I think that's just because the Northern Lights has been such a, you know, such a draw card. People have put it on their bucket list and and so forth. And with us heading into um, Solar Maximum again, 
there has been a lot of sightings in Victor- in, in Tasmania, even as, as high up as Victoria of the Southern Lights. Um, and so you don't get that wonderful array where the, the lights are overhead and you get them dancing. You do see them on the horizon and you tend to see a red glow more than a green just because of the, the way the aurora works. But to see that, I can't wait. I'm just so excited to see it from Australia. I've I've been lucky to see the Northern Lights a few times, but I think we're and we're actually taking advantage of going in March when the equinox for some reason, the scientists don't really know, but the Northern Lights and Southern Lights seem to dance more around the equinoxes. And yeah, hope the new moon. So we've got it all lined up. We've got 10 nights in dark sky places in, in Tasmania just to, to see it as much as we can. And I'll send you the photos if we do. Yeah. Please. <laughs> just, CJ, just whilst I can, and I, I don't mean to harp on about it, but I guess it's my job to talk about light pollution. There are many sightings of people seeing the southern lights from as far up as Queensland at various times. And a lot of people where I live in Sydney said that when I was a little kid, about the 70s, they would frequently see the Aurora Australis from our part of the world. And obviously that's still happening, that the Aurora Australis hasn't stopped happening. It's probably two things. One is that, A, we probably don't go out at night, and, B, that we've polluted our night skies with light that stops us from seeing it. So. You know, sometimes I say to people, you know, imagine we could be actually seeing the Aurora Australis right from Sydney if you just turned off your skies, you know, the night lights at night. So, yeah. Where can our listeners find you online? Ah, (laughs) well, um, my travel company is called Dark Sky Traveller. And so you can Google us. If you're coming to Australia, please send us an email. I'm more than happy to help you put you in the right direction of places to go and see and do. You can look at the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance website as well if you want a little bit of information about what we're doing here. And, in fact, I'm going to do a a plug, CJ, because what we would love to do and what we are setting out to do as the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance in 2022 in September is to rerun a Guinness World Record Challenge. So in 2019, we did it. And no, I'm all over the place with dates. I'm sorry, I'm really bad with dates. I should just ignore dates. But we did it last year. And uh, we ran a Guinness World Record attempt to get people out and looking at the night sky and, and recording the light pollution in their area. And we broke that world record. We got 4,832 But in September next year, we're really keen to get as many people as possible out. And we really want it to be a global experience. So we've chosen September 23, which is the equinox. So the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere both should have, you know, good enough dark skies for a couple of hours anyway. And uh, we'd love everybody to get involved. So um, if you join up to our Australasian Dark Sky Alliance website, you can, you'll can you get information about that. That would be wonderful. So, yeah, they're the two main things. And, um, yeah, but as I said, if anyone's coming to Australia, please talk to us because we're really keen to give you a really wonderful Dark Sky experience. Thank you, Marnie, for this fascinating discussion on astrotourism in Australia. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it useful. 
Mani has shared with us valuable information on dark sky tourism in Australia. You will find useful links and resources in the show notes. If you liked this episode, please consider buying me a coffee. You can find a link to my buy me a coffee page at the bottom of the show notes.